For the next couple of weeks on Discover the Word, we're going to talk about something that we notice in others that we don't like all that much, something that makes spending time with them really unpleasant. It's when they brag or boast excessively. And it's one thing that social media has kind of taken to a whole new level. But isn't it weird that something we find so annoying in others is something that we have such a tough time not doing ourselves? We lose the sense that the stuff we're not all that interested in about what others are boasting about is the same kind of stuff that they're not all that interested in hearing us brag about. And yet we feel the need to tell them. Well, over the course of our next two podcasts, the Discover the Word group is going to do a survey of some passages of Scripture that can help us answer the question, to boast or not to boast. Bill Crowder is going to lead Elisa Morgan, Daniel Ryan Day, and Rasul Berry to some surprising and some not so surprising discoveries about bragging. So pull your chair up to the table with them and we'll get started. And welcome to Discover the Word as we get the group together to begin this two-part study called To Boast or Not to Boast. As I said, those at the table are Bill and Elisa and Daniel and Rasul. And it is great to have you here with us as well. And so people who boast and brag a lot about their accomplishments, uh, their possessions, their kids and grandkids and how great they are with photos on their phone to prove it, uh, how fit they are, how much they're able to travel, and the list goes on. And it's not like all of it is inappropriate, right? It just seems like there is a threshold, though, that can be crossed. And as I said, we're painfully aware of when others cross it, but not so aware when we cross the line ourselves. And so I think this is a discussion about a timely subject that we all have experience in. And it'll be good to get a biblical perspective on to boast or not to boast. And so let's listen as Bill gets this started by getting us to think about what boasting actually is. Okay, how do you feel when you're around somebody who's bragging a lot? How do you feel when that's going on? Put off. Mm. I feel like it's irritating, I guess, trying to see someone promote themselves. And mm -hmm. I'd much rather hear something good about someone and see others affirm them versus yeah. them do it themselves. But I also kind of want to slide and change the subject <laughs> in the conversation. <laughs> yeah, but it depends on who you try to do that with. Because sometimes when you change the subject, they're like, oh, and that reminds me <laughs> when I da-da-da-da-da. I was the best at this. <laughs> yeah. It can be very awkward. Mm -hmm. It can be very unpleasant. It can be off-putting, as you mm -hmm. said, Russell. Why does it come naturally to us? To brag about ourselves? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it does. There are people that it does, for sure. But I think there are some people that, if anything, it's the opposite. They tend to talk down about themselves often or stuff mm -hmm. like that. But for the people that it comes naturally, I think it has something to do with when we desire importance or for people to notice us sometimes. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so we're trying to draw attention to yeah. what we think is best of us. Yeah, we want to have meaning. We want to be recognized. Yeah. We want to have significance. Yeah, yeah I know sometimes if I feel like my accomplishments or contribution is being overlooked, yeah. then I'll feel more of a pressure to mm -hmm. advertise them and help <laughs> the people around me see mm -hmm. the goodness of what I did or who I am. Mm -hmm. so the I, goodness. Yeah, I see, love that. It just, yeah. <laughs> see, it does come that It, come, it does. <laughs> <laughs> and, so, and sometimes with family, mm. right, it can be the spaces where we sometimes feel even more overlooked. And so yeah. we feel like we need to maybe remind the family why they're blessed to have us. <laughs> oh, <gosh. laughs> Especially though, see, I'm, I grew up the youngest. Uh -huh. So I kind of get pigeonholed and they always play the greatest hits of when I was eight years old or seven years old <laughs> and forgot this. So when I come back, I kind of have more of a edge of wanting to, you know, say, well, I'm you know, doing done this something now. since then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Believe it or not, for the next couple of weeks, I'd like for us to think about this idea of boasting or bragging. And I want us to think about times when it's inappropriate, according to the scriptures, and times when the Bible actually says it's okay. Mm. Now, that kind of feels weird. Yeah. Especially given our opening conversation to think there are times when the Bible says it's okay to boast. Well, yeah. 
<laughs> and we're going to see what that's about. So what I thought we would do is if we're going to talk about what the Bible has to say about boasting, I thought maybe it would help by starting to look at the Hebrew and Greek words that translate to boasting so that we can see kind of the the nature of what we're dealing with. Daniel, you're a kind of <laughs> resident Hebrew guy. Tell us about the Hebrew word for boasting. So the Hebrew word is halal. And actually, if you think about the word we use pretty often, especially in the Easter season, hallelujah. Yeah. And that's where the root of that word, and it means to praise or to shine or to bring out some kind of characteristic mm-hmm. about something. And so hallelujah, that idea And it means praise the Lord in that context. Mm -hmm. So to shine, to make a show of, to boast, and that could be, I guess, both good and bad. Yeah. It could be used in a good context or in a bad context. And the same's true of the Greek word kalkeomai, which is a word that means to boast or to vaunt in a good or bad sense. Vaunt isn't a word that we use a lot, but we talk about Mm -hmm. a football team having a vaunted defense, Mm -hmm. stout, strong defense. But it can be used again in both a good or a bad sense. And I think that's kind of what sets the table for what we're going to look at, because our first conversation today, I want us to look at what I think is one of the most meaningful texts in the Old Testament, and it has both good and bad boasting in it. It's Jeremiah 9, verses 23 and 24. Elisa, would you read those for us? You bet. Thus says the Lord, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom, and let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For I delight in these things, declares the Lord. So let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, or the mighty man boast in his might, or the rich man boast in his riches. Do we ever see people in the larger world around us <laughs> boasting about their wisdom or might or riches? Mm, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And they left out good looks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, or followers on Instagram or whatever <laughs> right. it is. I think when we come to the part about the appropriate boasting in the Lord, we'll look at that separately. But why is it wrong for somebody to boast about what they have or what they've earned or what they've achieved or whatever? Well, it strikes me that these are all things that we typically put confidence in. Mm-hmm. Confidence both in like, this is what makes life worth living, or this is where we get happiness or purpose or our identity from. Because we're talking about three pretty big categories, right? Wisdom, might, strength, and then riches. And those are typically, like I'm thinking of the backdrop of Ecclesiastes that we've talked about a lot. And those Mm -hmm. are three of the themes that show up a lot where it's like, these are the things we typically put hope in Mm -hmm. and find out that our hope is misplaced. It's almost like there are gods, the way you're Mm -hmm. describing it. And that makes a lot of sense. I also think they're things that we take credit for. We (laughs) really do. We think, well, I earned this money. You know, when I worked out and I'm strong, you know, and I went to school and I'm smart. And it's uh, deceptive to ourselves that we did this all by ourselves. And again, in light of that, Elise, so you think about James chapter 1, every good and perfect gift comes down from above, Mm. from the Father of light. So in a sense, when we're boasting about, well, I got my degree in X, Y, Z or whatever, okay, that's great. But every good and perfect gift comes down from above. You didn't do that on your own. There was help that the Lord provided for you, where there's the ability to process the information and learn it, where there's the ability to put together the thesis paper that you had to write, whatever it might be. You did not do that on your own. The Lord was involved in that. Those people who don't acknowledge God, you know, that's where especially I think the boasting comes, because those who do acknowledge God may forget to credit him, but they internally know that. But those who don't acknowledge God, they really stand firm the way I was describing it. I I did did this. this. Yeah, And don't you give credit to him for that. Yeah, the the other thing I think about is when he says, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom, riches, might, but that I am the Lord. I think about this aspect of putting your confidence in. Yeah. You know, I think about the verse where it says, don't put your confidence in horses or strength, which in the Old Testament, that was like tanks and your abilities. It's like that is going to fail you. And that is not the right place to land on what is ultimately going to save and what Mm -hmm. is going to help you find your sense of fulfillment and, Mm -hmm. you know, fullness. It's in the Lord, but we can easily lean on and have the confidence of those other things when we have a lot of them. Yeah. 
And let's turn the page. Let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. The word knows means to know with an intimate knowledge, a deeply personal knowledge. It's not just an intellectual knowledge, it's a relational knowledge. And he points out three specific things that we should boast about the Lord. Not just boast that we know him, but what do we know about him? And he lists three things, loving kindness, justice, and righteousness that he exercises those things. And it's interesting, too, because this is where we get that feel of kind of how poetic the mm. Bible can be, because mm. you have three things that we boast in, and then three things that we should yeah. boast in the Lord. It's like a parallelism. Yeah, yeah. so you have That's wisdom, nice. might, and riches is what we typically think about mm. and put our confidence in. And the invitation here is to recognize that Actually, there's even more important things, and that is the Lord's loving kindness, justice, and righteousness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the word loving kindness is a word we've talked about a lot on the program, chesed, Mm -hmm. which means covenant, faithful love, enduring love, abiding Mm -hmm. love, the love that God has for us, the love that we should have for him, but it's kind of beyond us at some level to do it right. The word justice means to govern justly, that God will vindicate the innocent and ultimately punish the guilty. That's something that, interestingly enough, the Bible tends to celebrate justice. And ironically, too, a lot of times justice in the Bible is connected to protecting the most vulnerable and defending them. So the orphan, the widow, the immigrant, the stranger in the land. And if you think about those vulnerable people, they're the opposite of the people that are boasting about their riches, their mm-hmm. might, mm-hmm. right? That's, That's good, really yeah. And their wisdom. The these are the most mm-hmm. vulnerable. And the invitation here is to recognize that God is actually looking after the mm-hmm. most vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And then he says God's righteousness, which is, that is the standard against which everything else gets measured. God's righteousness means he's right in what he does, in what he thinks, and what he says. In a sense, God's righteousness means he does not have the capacity to be wrong. Mm. So we need to look at our world and our lives in light of the God who oversees the world with chesed, with justice, and with righteousness. And so if you boil it all down, what we've seen in Jeremiah 9 is boasting the best way is boasting that always points to God and who he is in his heart and in his character. Boasting that goes the wrong way is boasting that points to us and what we think we're all about and all that kind of thing. So what I'd like for us to do in the next few conversations, I want us to look at things where the Bible tells us don't boast about this. And then we want to close our couple of weeks of looking at this subject by seeing some things the Bible says, hey, here's where you can go all in. Okay, one of the ways that we as followers of Christ talk about our faith is we say it's not a religion, it's a relationship. Mm -hmm. Why is that Mm -hmm. distinction important? Because, I mean, in one sense, it is a religion, so we don't categorize it that way, right? I think we're trying to capture the spirit of what we see God doing in the Bible, which is to try to reconcile in a relational way us to him. So it's not about like just giving honor and glory to God, which we do. And it's not just about serving God, which we do, but even the spirit in which we try to worship God or the spirit in which we serve God is a relational way Mm. where he is showing love to us. We're trying to Mm -hmm. show love back to him and to one another and all that. So I think maybe that's where some of that comes from. And I think too, it's a modern phrase. You know, I don't Mm -hmm. think anybody said that in the 1800s, but I think we're reacting against the formulaic kind of do's and don'ts and rules of what it means to know God. Mm -hmm. And we're reacting against that more towards the relationship as you're describing, Daniel. Yeah, I think about it in a sense of the idea that religious activity is about the rules and about your actions and that that somehow is the centerpiece and trying to push against that to say no actually this is a somehow on a deeper level about communion with God that transcends whatever I bring to the table mm-hmm. with my activity. And mm-hmm. I think that's the attempt there to try to de-emphasize actions and emphasize something different. Mm. I'm not sure that you realized you were doing this, but at that moment you gave a perfect summation of the book of Galatians. <laughs> because Paul's <laughs> letter right. to the Galatians was to a group of people who had come to Christ through the gospel, but a group had come in and tried to convince them, no, it's not just about that. It's about what you do, how you perform, what you achieve, what you accomplish 
accomplish for God. That's really where it is. And that, of course, we see Jesus interacting with the religious leaders in Israel during his time who were all about keeping the law and performing ritual and all that kind of thing. As we've begun to have these conversations on what is and is not appropriate ground for boasting, this is an area where the Bible actually has some specific things to say about not boasting about religious performance, Mm. because that's not where relationship with God comes from. Maybe the most famous of those verses, Elisa, would you read Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10? For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So it's not of you, and it's not of works. Why? So we can't boast. So that we can't boast that our relationship with God is somehow a product of what we have done. So the converse of works is grace and faith, right? So what do grace and faith have to do with relationship with God? Paul Mm. seems to think kind of everything, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because grace has a lot to do with a gift that we receive. Mm -hmm. And that's the very definition of the word is a gift. Mm -hmm. And faith is putting trust in. You know, sometimes we think of faith in kind of a, if I'm honest, I think about it in a boasting way, like I've come to this mental understanding and and conviction and wow, you know, I really Mm -hmm. trust God now. Mm -hmm. But in reality, it's, ooh, I can't do this on my own. I need help and looking to God in trust. And he really provides that trust. I think about all the conversations between Jesus and the religious leaders. There's so many. I mean, it's just the constant backdrop of the Gospels. And it is this battle between I got it right and yay me, you know, versus you got it wrong and I love you anyway, you know. I think it's tricky, too, with this topic in religious settings because there are people that we run into who boast very specifically about like an understanding that they've had about God or something like that. But I don't know about you all, but in my life, the boasting that I do in this type of setting tends to be much more subtle and often I don't notice it. So it'd be like somebody asks me about some kind of biblical idea Mm -hmm. and I feel like, well, because I've studied it and whatever, I need to come up with something, even though I don't really have something to offer. And so by offering a response to their Mm -hmm. question, I'm like boasting in that I should have an answer to this, even though I really don't. Yeah, there's something that, you know, is a little slang that has come up recently called a humble brag. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) A humble brag is when you are acting like you're being humble about something, but you (laughs) really are bragging about it. So it's like, man... That second year Hebrew, like that, it took so long for me to master, <laughs> master. all of the words, oh, and, yeah. and you know. But now I got my Hebrew Bible, and I, that's how I read it now. So I guess yeah. it worked out, but it was so tough. And it's like really yeah, right. reflecting yeah. on the fact that you can do something you're trying. And so, but what that speaks to is the subtlety mm-hmm. of boasting especially in a spiritual context Mm -hmm. because our hearts are deceitful and wicked and because we know the rules so we know we're not supposed to be out there saying look i know more bible than you (laughs) haha but our hearts still want to go in that direction Mm -hmm. and so that's where it's even more of a challenge for us to find the root and pull it out Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah and sometimes in sharing the testimony of what god has done Yes. What it sounds like is that I'm giving credit to God, but I know in my heart in that particular setting, what I'm really drawing attention to is how I've changed for wow. the better. So how yeah. do we do it right? I mean, well, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's what we're going to be talking about for a couple of weeks. But I want to stick with that phrase you said, but in my heart, mm-hmm. you know, I think we know when we've crossed that line and we know when we've been just trying to impress. But specifically when he says that no one should boast in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, he's specifically talking about taking the credit for achieving a relationship with God. I come from a, a very conservative background and I've had conversations with people where I've said, do you know the Lord? And they say, well, I was baptized when I was such and such. Well, That's not what I asked. I didn't ask if you performed a religious ritual. I asked if you know the Lord. Well, I was a deacon in the church for several years. Well, you know, that's Mm -hmm. not what I'm asking. And I think when we try to take those kinds of things and make them the source of our relationship with God, that's when we're doing what Paul is charging against here. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. 
See, now I'm feeling convicted again, though, because I'm thinking of all the times that I talk about or put emphasis on how much I pray or how much I read the Bible to like develop my relationship with the Lord, mm-hmm. which is just a whole nother version of exactly what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I wouldn't say that an acknowledgement of one's progress is bad or an acknowledgement of the means of grace yeah. that God has used that you've applied and seen development is a bad thing. It's that way in which there's this arrogance or this sense of a lack of humility. And I, I think ultimately it comes to even the, like you said, the understanding of the formula. I got the formula mm-hmm. as opposed <laughs> to like an awe of what God has done yeah. and who God is. And I think that's the shift. Yeah. And, right? and again, in our hearts, we know there's a line and we kind of know when we've crossed it, I think, yeah. you know, and it's subtly about trying to get attention on us rather than deflecting the attention to the Lord. Romans 3.27 is another interesting statement on this. Um, Who's got that? I have it. Uh, Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. Here it seems like Paul is really talking about Judaism in particular. When he talks about what by what kind of law, he's talking about the law of Judaism, of works, is trying to fulfill that law by human effort. And he says, no, that's not what gets you into relationship with God. It's by a law of faith. See, he uses that word law twice. It's not the law that you try to perform. It's the law or the standard or the principle that you embrace by faith. That's where relationship with God comes from. Doesn't that feel a bit of an oxymoron? Mm-hmm. The law totally. of faith? Yeah. It's supposed to. I think okay. I think Paul <laughs> does that intentionally to get the attention of his Jewish listeners. You're focused on so the like law of Moses. Law. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but there's a higher law. Mm-hmm. There's a higher standard. Yeah, and I would say the interesting thing is there are those within the system that Paul is talking about of Judaism who understands that that was always mm-hmm. the case. It was always mm-hmm. about yeah. faith. But again, in the same way that we in the church can mm. have that subtle shift mm-hmm. of where we're putting our confidence, yeah. that there were some in the synagogue that had made that shift too, yeah. and that he's trying to elevate them mm-hmm. to what it had always been. I think he's doing that with the knowledge that he himself had been in that space where he had crossed that line and made that shift. Because Philippians 3, he talks about, yeah, I was this, and I was this, and I was oh, this, gosh, and I was yes. this. Uh-huh. But... None of that matters compared to knowing Christ. That's such a great example. Yeah, <laughs> That's a great example because he is boasting in yeah. the Lord. And he does that lots in yeah. his letters. You know, I've been shipwrecked and I've been beaten and I've been suffered and blah, blah, blah. He could sound super arrogant. Yeah. But he's actually just reporting. Yeah. Hmm. And in Philippians 3, where he says, born in the tribe of uh-huh. Benjamin, circumcised the eighth day. And he lists all of his religious credentials, credentials yeah. according to the law of Moses, he says, but I count all of that as nothing compared to knowing Christ. To see how much that meant to him before he met Christ and how that turns in knowing Christ makes a huge difference. So that even that could be a humble brag, but maybe it's the right kind of humble brag because it's taking the attention away from the things that he used to value and putting it on Christ, who is beyond value. I would call it a humble, humble brag. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because it's really uh, based on the shift being, look at what God has done in and through my life. Yeah. And I am grateful for that. And I want to share that with you. But at the end of the day, is the star of the show me or is it God? Yeah, yeah that's a great question. And way of evaluating whether a brag or even a humble brag is pointing in the right direction. Is it pointing toward God or toward me? Who is the star, as Rasul said, of what we're saying? So to boast or not to boast, that is the question that we're going to be trying to answer in this two-episode podcast. And throughout this series, we're going to look at some key passages to discover what the Bible says about bragging and when it is and when it isn't okay to boast. And next, Bill wants us to explore together an interesting aspect of this because I think it's safe to say that, I mean, we need affirmation from others. Mark Twain once said, I can live for two months on a good compliment. 
But sometimes knowing how to receive compliments can be kind of complicated. And so how do you receive compliments? Does it feel like boasting or bragging if you don't deflect or make some self-deprecating comments in response? Well, Rasul has a great story to get us into this next segment of our study, and he'll tell us that story after we take a quick break. Now, before we continue, I want to encourage you to go to our website and check out something there that you may not have been aware of. When you go to discovertheword.org, there is a store tab up at the top of the page. Click on that to open up another world of resources from us and our Daily Bread Ministries. Bill has a number of books there, including one that just came out that started as a Discover the Word study. It's about the gospel in the mountains. And Elisa's new book for Christmas is there. It also has its roots in Discover the Word. In fact, after this series on boasting, we'll spend a couple episodes of the podcast talking about how Christmas changes everything. That book is there in the store as well. And when you're looking those over, you're also just a click away from lots of other Our Daily Bread products like books and DVDs and CDs, Christmas cards, calendars, kids' books, and seriously, a lot more. And just a hint, think Christmas shopping. We'll explore those tabs as well and start by clicking store at discovertheword.org. And now here's Rasul with that story to lead us into the next part of our To Boast or not to boast conversation about receiving compliments. You know, when I used to lead bands of folks who were either in college students and we would go on the road and do outreach concerts, churches and youth groups and prisons and things, there was always this big conflict that the artists had after the concert. People would go up to them and say, that was amazing. You can sing so oh well. Gosh, yeah. And some would say, oh, praise God. Uh-huh. You know, just they, deflect. Uh-huh. Some uh-huh. some would be like just speechless. They didn't know what to say, and then others would say. And so we actually had to like come together to help them think through, because some felt arrogant if they accepted that kind of acknowledgement or praise. But we kind of were like it's okay to say thank you, or you know, what was it in particular that inspired you or touched you? But I remembered that tension and I felt that tension too yeah. when you come off from speaking or something and someone just comes up to you and says, that was so impactful to me. What do you say? Have you ever felt that way before? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I think especially in that type of a setting because you're singing about God or <laughs> right. speaking about God, it feels yeah. different in that setting too. But I think, yeah, I think we see that tension and just about every area of life, this tension between when is it okay to allow attention to be drawn to something good that I've been a part of or done, and when does it cross over from that to like drawing attention to myself in the wrong way? And I don't always have a good answer for that. I mean, some people have that experience with their children. (laughs) Your kids are amazing. Yeah. But, you know, it's like, are you going to take credit for that? Or mm-hmm. is that their behavior and their yeah. choices? And, you know, is that yours doing as a parent? And they, yeah. you know, then when they don't do great things, is that your doing as a parent mm-hmm. as well? You know, a lot of tension there. All the good stuff, me. All the bad stuff, <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah, right. I've said, I've said about our kids, I won't take any of the credit for what they get right if I only have to get half the blame for what mm-hmm. they get wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's so easy to slide into that self-praise, self-affirmation, self-promotion kind of thing. Especially, I mean, all of us are in public ministry spaces. And so we do get a lot of feedback. Some of it's over the top more than we could ever deserve. Some of it, you know, I mean, there have been times when I've had people tell me that was a really good message. And I don't necessarily think that that crosses a line to accept their appreciation and acknowledge that. Oh, you know where I really feel this tension is when it comes around to yearly annual reviews. Oh, <laughs> yep. you got to review and yourself. you have to mm-hmm. review yourself. Mm-hmm. And I did this and some, this, and this, yeah. and this But I did. And in some organizations, mm-hmm. what you put on that paper is going to lead to a certain amount of raise or no raise or whatever. And so mm-hmm. you're drawing attention to the things that you did well, that you were the first one to do, all that you feel like you need to. But at the same time, you're like, but if I do too much and go over the top, then they're going to think I'm all about me. And anyway, I feel that tension 
that's big a time good there. example. Yeah, so let's continue thinking through to boast or not to boast. That is the question. Uh-huh. <laughs> we want to look in this conversation in James chapter 4. James is, some people have said it's the most Jewish book in the New Testament, mm. which makes me think they probably never read Hebrews. But, <laughs> um, but because it's a book of practical wisdom, and it sounds very much like it could sing harmony with the book of Proverbs. Mm-hmm. James 4, verse 16, I want us to see the verse in isolation and then come back and pick it up in its context. Daniel, you got James 4, 16 there? Sure. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Okay, so he's definitely addressing boasting that has crossed the line. Yeah, mm-hmm. mine says arrogant schemes. Yeah, That's you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. 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 That's a heavy word. Mm-hmm. Evil is a heavy word. Mm-hmm. So let's hear the context. Verses 13 through 15. Elisa, you want to get those? Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If Mm. anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Hmm. Okay, so he's talking about our own schemes. The word arrogance means pretense or pretensions, attempting to impress by giving greater importance or talent or culture than what is actually possessed, pretentiousness, arrogance. He says, you're claiming more than you can back up. Mm-hmm. It's that idea of being puffed up. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and the example he gives is being so confident that tomorrow you can do whatever it is that you think you can do yeah. as if you control yeah. how long you're on earth or your future or whatever. And then he offers the alternative, which is if the Lord wishes, we will live and do this or that instead, which in the South, we used to say, Lord willing, and the creek don't rise. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> but the sometimes idea is, the creek rises. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> right. And I think that's the other thing that's important insight about the problem of boasting. I used to think of humility as just kind of debasing myself. Mm -hmm. I'm a worm. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And in a way that was demeaning in some way. And Mm then I heard someone say, humility is not about thinking less of yourself. It's about thinking of yourself less. Right. And this idea that at the end of the day, boasting and arrogance is inaccurate. (laughs) It's like, Mm -hmm. it's not, you know, it's an inaccurate view of oneself. And so, it's not just a aspect where, oh, there's some people who have a bigger personality and they yeah. like to exaggerate, but it's like, it's actually not true. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like you yeah. don't have the level of control that you think you do. Yeah, it gets so inflated mm-hmm. that it ends up being dishonest and untrue. Okay, yeah. but let's get back into the tension where we were at the beginning. Is it wrong to make plans and set agendas? Right. No. I mean, we can also go the other direction and say, <laughs> if the Lord wills, before every single thing we say, because <laughs> mm-hmm. that's the formula that James is offering here in yeah. this example. It's wise to make strategic plans. It's good to plan out and number our days and gain a heart of wisdom. You know, there are other places in Scripture where we're actually commanded to be careful with each day. One, like even the review example Mm -hmm. that I shared earlier, if I just don't put anything in there, that's not going to go over well either, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's a level of disobedience. Well, and it's like you're a slacker and yeah. in your job, which would not please mm-hmm. God. There is a context in which it is wise and appropriate to make plans and set agendas. But James seems to make it pretty clear that there can be a pretentiousness and arrogance about that. So again, where's the line that gets crossed in that process? I also noticed too, at the beginning of this context, there's a, a lot of expectation that the person has in verse 13. Today or tomorrow, we'll go to such and such mm-hmm. a town, spend a year there doing business and making money. Right. Right. So there's this emphasis that not only am I going to be there about this long, but it's going to work. Yeah. I'm going to make money because I'm good at this or whatever. Yeah. And so it almost feels like maybe that's part of what he's leaning into mm-hmm. with that's the good, arrogant Daniel. side of there's things. There's a way in which if everything goes well, you might even say we prosper, and that word has been used to describe what's called the prosperity gospel, that that's all what God wants. He wants everybody to prosper. So if I decide 
it's God's will for me to be rich, you know, blah, blah. Whereas the reality is, is that God may use the skinny times, the tough times to conform our character. And so this kind of language assumes that God is a one note God. He's going to do our lives, play one tune, and it all involves success mm-hmm. and, you know, that kind of result. Whereas, can we allow for whatever yeah. God might allow? And again, even when he turns it to the positive, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. I mean, that can be turned the wrong way too, like the mm-hmm. g- good Lord will and then the creek don't rise. I mean, <laughs> yeah. It can become kind of an empty mantra. And that's where I think it's a heart disposition mm-hmm. you know, more than it is an explicit statement that I have to say before I announce any expectation or plan. And of course, sometimes our language does reflect our intentions or our motives, you know, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Sure. And yet it's really a heart dynamic. The thing I like about the sentence is if the Lord's will, the idea is God's will precedes my plans. Mm, that's good. Yeah. And I think the whole idea of just tacking if it's the Lord's will on something is just as misguided as tacking in Jesus' name I pray mm-hmm. at the end of our prayers. I was just thinking that. Because in Jesus' name means we're praying in conformity with his character and with his heart and with his purposes. Yeah, not just saying he blesses what I just yeah, prayed. It's, yeah, it's right. not just tagging that on in a meaningless way. And the same way with if the Lord wills. I mean, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Nevertheless, Mm -hmm. not my will, but yours be done. That becomes kind of the guiding rule of looking forward. So the boasting here that you want us to pay attention to is don't boast about our own plans, our own schemes, that we're in charge of it all. Instead, even as we pray for and plan for what happens, we yield to what God might accomplish. Along with that, Bill, maybe you can just speak to that tension that we started with at the beginning. What is the difference between, especially in a setting where we feel like we have to draw attention to something that we're doing, otherwise it's going to be overlooked or something like that. What is the difference between being a confident, let's say, business person who's making plans for the year with the goal of making money and they wouldn't have launched this business if they didn't think of it? Mm -hmm. What is the difference between that kind of confidence versus boasting and arrogance. Yeah, I kind of land where Rasul was a few minutes ago. I think it's the heart disposition. It's that heart disposition that keeps things held in tension and learns to live with that tension, where we recognize, again, as followers of Christ, as you said in an earlier conversation, Elisa, not everybody believes that God has anything to do with their success. I mean, as followers of Christ, The scriptures make it very clear to us that everything we have and everything we do and everything we accomplish comes from the hand of God to us. That doesn't mean we aren't participating in it, Daniel. Mm -hmm. I I think we can acknowledge, for instance, if somebody comes and says, boy, that was a great message. I don't think it's wrong to say, well, I'm thankful that the Lord's given me a gift. I'm acknowledging that God's behind it all, but I have to accept that gift and hone it and work with it. So I think it's that heart that spirit that recognizes there is evil in pure arrogance. And we see that, don't Mm -hmm. we? And we recognize when we see it, we don't recognize it as quickly when it's happening in us. Mm. The heart disposition has to be in the right place. And that's where we really need to lean into the Lord and allow him to be shaping our heart. You look at the example of Jesus, think of how many things he could have bragged about. (laughs) (laughs) Never did. He said, hitherto I have worked and my father works with me. It's always pointing to the father in Jesus's work. And I think that's maybe a lesson that can help us as well. Each of us for significant parts of our adult lives have had the privilege of being involved in what we could call spiritual service, if you want to put it that way. There are blessings in that, aren't Mm, there? What are some of the blessings from being engaged in that kind of work? Meaning. I mean, the meaning and purpose of life is so rich. I mean, there's just no mistake. And, And it's humbling to watch God use, you know, even me kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, to be used... And to have someone tell you some words that you said Mm -hmm. changed the trajectory of my life. That's happened to me before. And it is Mm -hmm. just so 
overwhelming. I think about that verse where Peter says that we get to be partakers of the divine nature. Yeah. And I'm just blown away by that yeah. every time mm. I get to see That's it. Good. Mm-hmm. I think for me, maybe the opportunity to get to focus on people mm-hmm. and what they're struggling with, what they're dealing with, and be available to them. It's probably one of the greatest rewards. I remember, because I have been in this context, you know, most of my life is people who've been in secular work and might come to work with me, with us in ministry someplace, and they're blown away by a moment when we would pray together. Yeah. Because they're like, I've never prayed together in my other <laughs> yeah. job. And I forget that that is kind of not allowed in some places. And we have such a rich bounty of that yeah. privilege. Okay, so... Clearly, there's a lot of blessings being involved in serving the Lord. What are the dangers? And to get burned out on God. (laughs) (laughs) I read a quote one time recently of, I'm tired of helping other people enjoy God. I just want to enjoy him for myself. Mm -hmm. And I think it was Ruth Haley Barton that said that. And that stuck with me because sometimes like even reading the Bible, I'm always mining it for what I could use to teach or bring to discover the word or something like that. And I'm like, when's the last time that I was able just to enjoy the scriptures? Yeah, and I think related to that, that feeling of reading the text primarily for what I can communicate about it and not for what is it saying to me. It's almost Mm -hmm. like you can get into preparation mode. I can get into preparation mode so much that I'm literally reading and I'm jumping to Mm -hmm. application or Mm -hmm. insights for others. and. I need to rewind and go, what are you saying to me? And even if you're not in a teaching mode kind of ministry, maybe if you're in a serving mode, a counseling mode, people management mode, Mm -hmm. we can become so outer focused on other people. And that sounds so godly, but it's like you're just constantly like a marionette person, you know, working with other people and you can lose touch with what's going on in your own soul. And that's super dangerous. We've been having these conversations on to boast or not to boast. And Paul actually seems to think that one of the dangers of spiritual service is that we can become arrogant and boastful about what we do in serving God. First oh, yeah. Corinthians nine sixteen is a specific verse that he talks about that in his own personal spiritual journey. You have that, Russell? For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast since I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. I cannot boast. I mean, that opens the door for the possibility that someone could boast or might boast or would want to boast or something. And I think that as we hear what Paul's saying, maybe if we, again, put it into its context, Rasul, how about going back and picking up verse 13 and reading all the way again through 16, if you would. Don't you know that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple and that those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. But I have not used any of these rights, and I am not writing this in the hope that you will do such things for me. For I would rather die than allow anyone to deprive me of this boast. For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, since I am compelled to preach Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Sounds like he's talking about compensation. Compensation. Yeah, Yeah, he wants to get paid. And he's saying I have a right to expect some recompense for my preparation and service to you. And that part's clear. But then it's confusing to me where he goes back and forth about I've got to boast and I can't boast and I better not boast and I'm compelled. And Yeah. And maybe he's diving headlong into the tension that we've been wrestling with in all these conversations because he says basically... The thing that I boast about is I don't use my ministry, the gospel, for my own advantage or my Mm -hmm. own well-being. But the bottom line is there really is no ground for boasting because I'm compelled by God to do this. And one of the things maybe I see in this is him saying that he's going to preach the gospel regardless of whether he gets paid or not. I think you're right. Right? He's compelled that way. So in other words, like, hey, I need to make a living Right. And because of the work that I'm doing, I think it's okay for me to expect that I would get paid for that work that I'm doing. But at the end of the day, Mm -hmm. even if I don't get paid, I'm under this obligation. If we could just go on and read a little further in verse 17, if I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I'm simply discharging the trust committed to me. What's my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge. 
and so not make full use of my gifts as a preacher of the gospel. Yeah, and I think the broader context that I kind of remember from this is that there's this tension with the Corinthian church that he's writing to where in some sense he started the church and in that sense has a natural affinity and authority. But in another sense, there have been rumblings in ways in which he's been disrespected and even devalued. And so he's trying to simultaneously remind them of his laying the foundation of their church while at the same time contrasting himself from those who are really trying to make it about themselves. Yeah, and I think he practiced what he's preaching here because we know that there were times in his ministry that rather than taking support from the churches he was working with, he supported himself as a tent maker. And now we talk about tent maker missionaries who go into countries as teachers or doctors or whatever, but that's just funding their opportunity to share Christ wherever they are because he was an actual literal tent maker who supported himself that way. And so I think for us, you know, maybe the value point for us is not the compensation part, but the doing it out of compulsion. I feel compelled to do this. I have a responsibility, a stewardship to discharge. I have a task that's been entrusted to me, and I'm responsible for making the most of that. And that's the big thing. So I don't brag about what I'm doing as if I'm all that. It's more a case of, no, I'm just doing it because I have to. I've got this inner burning. The Old Testament prophets talked about a fire in their soul, you know, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. If we kind of already net out what we've been talking about the last conversations, it is boasting seems to hinge on our motivation. Mm -hmm. You know, what's it coming from about me or about God? Our directive, what direction Mm -hmm. it's headed for, is it about me or about God? And now here, an inner calling, Mm -hmm. is it about me or about God? Yeah, and I wonder too, in this, because it's connected to like compensation and that part of the conversation, is entitlement a version of boasting? Oh, that's good. You know, because, and I'm thinking of the Instagram page, Preachers and Sneakers, right, where they show pastors that are wearing $15,000 sweatshirts or Mm -hmm. whatever, and drawing attention to the fact that some of those pastors are pastors that have used this text Mm -hmm. or texts like it to say, this is what I'm owed. Mm -hmm. And Paul seems to be kind of pushing back on any kind of like entitlement here Mm -hmm. either. Paul is making two points here. The first point he's making is it's not wrong to be compensated for doing ministry. A laborer is worthy of their hire, as the scriptures say. But if money is the primary driving motivation for what we're doing, quote, in Jesus' name, close quote, then we've gone the wrong direction. What's driving us needs to be the necessity of the gospel and the needs of the people to hear it. Yeah, I'm also drawn to not just the word compelled, which I love because I can relate to that. I <laughs> uh-huh. resonate. But the woe to me, because I think about the Old Testament and we see this in the New Testament, that sense of woe is almost a sense of pronouncement of like judgment or like this is the worst thing that could be. Like woe to me if I don't preach this yeah. message. Mm-hmm. And that speaks to a level of conviction about what it is that we're saying, but also the content of the message, right? Because the gospel itself ought to be the ultimate corrective mm-hmm. for the wrong sense of boasting because it's all about what God did for me. He saved me. He died for me. You know what I mean? He renewed me. And so in that sense, when I continue to preach that message and stay connected to what I'm saying, then it also helps me be humble. Yeah. In a sense, Paul's life validated the truthfulness of his message. Mm. And I mean, you know, we all know how many times people have said, I don't go to church because the church is full of hypocrites, starting with the person in the pulpit, you know. And sadly, that's far too often true than it should be. But if we really believe grace is grace, you're right, Russell. I mean, it works as a corrective against any of this, I'm entitled, or I deserve this, or check me out, look what I'm doing. When we serve in the children's ministry at church, or we share the gospel, or help in the food pantry, or join a small group, it's easy to pat ourselves on the back for doing those good works. But as the group pointed out today, the Bible says, actually, we're just doing what comes naturally from a life that is surrendered to Christ. And so is boasting about that really a great idea? Well, you're listening to Discover the Word, the small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries, and you're studying with Bill Crowder 
Elisa Morgan, Daniel Ryan Day, and Rasul Berry as the team continues our current conversation called To Boast or Not to Boast. And they'll stay on the subject of our being tempted to boast about our spiritual service to wrap up part one in just a moment. But first, I want to encourage you to connect with us on social media. We'll send you the latest updates on Facebook, uh, Twitter, or Instagram to keep you informed about what's happening at Discover the Word. And then I also want to remind you that here at Discover the Word and Our Daily Bread Ministries, it is our mission to make the life-changing story and wisdom of the Bible understandable and accessible to people all around the world. And your special year-end gift could help us fulfill this worthwhile mission. So simply look for the Donate button when you go online to discovertheword.org. All right, so to begin this last segment of Part 1, Bill has a couple of quotes he wants to get our reaction to. And so let's listen as Bill turns to the group and says... I want to throw a couple of quotes at you, both from former presidents. Harry Truman said, It is amazing what you can accomplish if you don't care who gets the credit. Mm. John F. Kennedy put a little more cynical spin on it. He said, Victory has a thousand fathers, but defeat is an orphan. (laughs) How do you see those things? How do you react to that? The JFK quote takes me a second, but in other words, when something's successful, it's amazing how many people will take credit for it. Mm -hmm. But when something doesn't work out, all the fingers usually point to one person or something like that. Mm -hmm. In corporate settings, and I think too sometimes in ministry settings, It's not unusual, as you were saying, Daniel, to see people scrambling to take credit for when things go well, Mm -hmm. whether that credit's really due them or not. In our last conversation, we talked about boasting as it relates to spiritual service and our motives, whether it's compensation Mm -hmm. or whatever it might be. Today, I want us to think about boasting and spiritual service as it relates to who gets the credit for what happens. Mm -hmm. And to do that, we're going to go back into 1 Corinthians 1, only in our last conversation, we were all the way into chapter 9, deep into the letter. We want to start in chapter 1 today and really see some things that Paul says about boasting as it relates to spiritual service. So, Daniel, would you read for us verses 26 through 29? Consider your own call, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, things that are not to reduce to nothing things that are, so that no one might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, in order that, as it is written, Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. That last phrase, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord, that's taken from Jeremiah 9, where we started Mm. off this series of Mm. conversations. Notice what he says here. In the eyes of the world, many of the instruments that God chooses to use are less than qualified, less than ideal, less than top shelf. Let's put it that way. But there's a reason for that. It's so that none of us who are those less than ideal instruments, can take the credit for what happens. Mm -hmm. It's because whatever happens is of the Lord. So no one can boast before God. So we think of examples of Moses, who was a Hebrew child raised in Pharaoh's court, or David, who was a shepherd and becomes king, or Mm -hmm. we can go on all the disciples, you know, the fishermen, etc. And I get it. But I also want to say God also uses incredibly gifted people. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think that it doesn't say God doesn't use any. It says God doesn't use many. Okay. We know that there are extraordinarily brilliant people that God does use, like a C.S. Lewis or the Apostle Paul. I Mm -hmm. mean, tremendous minds in these individuals and others beyond them as well. This verse actually makes me laugh often (laughs) because it reminds me of the dreaded gym class picking situation, right? And, Mm -hmm. you know, the person who was going to be picked among the last or the last, you know, God saying, actually, I like to pick the last. Mm. But that also means that he's saying, you know, y'all weren't all that (laughs) in different ways for whatever reason that could be. And yet God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And there's a certain kind of a humility in being reminded that 
I'm part of that category of folks mm-hmm. that he chose you know, to confound the shrine. Isn't it later in his writings to Corinthians that he talks about the humble pottery that God uses Mm -hmm. for divine purposes? Jars of clay. Mm -hmm. You know, there is a lot of truth for that. Even Mm -hmm. if you are in an earthly exalted position, it's the humbleness within you that God then lifts up. And I wonder too, if part of that is not focusing on where we start from, but focusing on the humility that God works in us and then bears fruit out of. And the bearing fruit part, I think, is really important, Daniel, because just very shortly after this in 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about, you know, there's all this debate, I am of Paul, I am of Paulus, I am of Cephas. And he says, who is Paul? He's somebody who planted. Who is Apollos? He's somebody who watered. It's God who gives the increase. Mm-hmm. That's where the focus needs to be. And I think that as Paul's writing this, I think he genuinely recognizes that there's probably some people in the church at Corinth who are too closely attached to him mm-hmm. as a human mentor mm-hmm. figure in their life instead of really looking to the Lord. Yeah, I think another dynamic when I scroll up a little bit in the chapter and he asked the question about where is the wise and it's like basically the wisdom of this world crucified Jesus. Yeah. So mm-hmm. even if I do consider myself among the higher echelon, what does that really mean right. in the full context of God's wisdom? There's still such a vast gap yeah. that there's still nothing for me to boast about. And later on, we find out in chapter 11 that the church itself has divided itself into categories of people based on wealth. And so you have these like private Lord's Supper dinners that are happening Uh with the wealthy so that by the time those who are poor show up, there's not even any Lord's Supper left for them. And so I think that's probably part of what Paul's teeing up here in the beginning of the letter because that's where it's going later in the letter. Yeah, there's a rhythm to this. Mm -hmm. And we saw in our first conversation in Jeremiah chapter 9, that there is a rhythm to the three categories. Let let not the wise boast in his wisdom or the mighty in his strength Mm -hmm. or the rich in his riches. And you hear an echo of that. I mean, Paul was a brilliant Old Testament Mm -hmm. scholar, right? And so it's almost as if he's writing a New Testament echo to Jeremiah's lament in Jeremiah chapter 9. Yeah, you're right. He has three groups here, Mm -hmm. and you could see them being related. Not many of you are wise, Mm -hmm. powerful, noble birth. So there is kind of that hint, echo Mm -hmm. of Jeremiah. And he ends his particular argument on this subject by quoting Quoting Jeremiah Uh 9. So it's hard to imagine that he didn't have that rhythm in mind as he was writing this. That's really rich, Bill. So what is this, let him who boasts boast in the Lord? What is it that that's referring to and talking about, do you think? I think that's a good question because I'm thinking about times where I've, and I'm holding up quote marks, boasted in the Lord, but really have been trying to make it about me in a way that people would notice, right? That I'm more spiritual or better or whatever. So it probably goes back to what we've talked about a few times now, which is that heart posture of why we're talking about what's happened in us because of the Lord. Is it drawing attention to, you know, we talked in the very first Mm -hmm. conversation about halal and like drawing attention to shining what the Lord has done, or is it actually shining myself in some way? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think about the other phrase you see in the Psalms often, magnify Mm -hmm. Lord with me. And this idea of think of a magnifying glass of making bigger to people what it is that God has done in your life. Mm -hmm. And and that's what I think of when I think of boasting in the Lord of like, let's talk about his many excellent ways. You know, I love in Psalm 103, who has forgiven all your sins? Who has healed all your diseases? Who has redeemed your life from the pit and filled it with good things? Oh, bless the Lord, oh my soul. And there's something beautiful about the fact that we get to participate in that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm thinking about when Jesus is going into Jerusalem and the Pharisees and the religious leaders are telling him to make his disciples be quiet. And he says, if I tell them to be quiet, the very stones will cry out. So, I mean, creation will cry out and magnify the Lord, Mm -hmm. but he's created us to magnify him and to point toward him. And he sure didn't have to because we're such messed up creatures, you know, the weak, the foolish, Mm -hmm. you know, the poor. That means there's a place at the table for all of us. Because if he includes the weakest mm-hmm. and the most undesirable as his children and as his representatives, then that includes everybody. There's nobody who's outside it. Which is why 
part of boasting in the Lord is also a built-in invitation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Look at what he did yeah. for me. That means he can do it for you. I'm just a beggar telling another beggar where to find mm-hmm. bread. Yeah, and that's, right. that's, I think, the ultimate boast that we can look at. I'd like for us to kind of close this week of conversations the same way we started it, and that was by reading Jeremiah 9, verses 23 and 24. Daniel, you got that? Thus says the Lord, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast of his might, let not a rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For I delight in these things, declares the Lord. We're going to continue these conversations for another week. We've got one more about what not to boast in, and then we're going to turn the page and start talking about things the Scripture says we should boast in. We've already dabbled in that a little bit in the let him who boasts boast in the Lord, but we'll carry this on in our next series of conversations. Great way to wrap up part one of these conversations, and there is still more to come as we continue in a second episode by asking to boast or not to boast. That is the question. Just kind of as a review with our friends at the table with us, what are some of the things we are not to boast about? All the great stuff we do for God. Yeah, <laughs> religious works. Yeah. yeah, our own plans or our own control over life or its circumstances because mm-hmm. we don't have it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, boast way. about our wealth or status or any of these things that ultimately God is the author of. Yeah. Now, what are some things that we can boast about? Yeah, that's what you'll have to listen to the next episode to find out. You're listening to Discover the Word alongside Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, Daniel Ryan Day, and Rasul Berry. And we're glad you're at the table with the group as we study God's Word together. Discover the Word is a small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries in Grand Rapids, Michigan, in which we invite you to walk with us through topics and passages that inform the way we read the Scriptures, that challenge us as we live our lives as followers of Christ, and always point us to discover Jesus in the pages of the Bible. Thanks for listening. I'm Brian Hedinga. Discover the Word is provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries.